You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hi there, everybody. I'm Bill Young. This is David Blobaum. Hi, this is Jolene Unlin. This is Steve Chen. And you are listening to the Earn and Invest podcast. I've said multiple times that Earn and Invest is all about community. Let me explain. Usually when you listen to a podcast, you have some big personality moderator who's then interviewing a bunch of experts. And I think this is great. And certainly we do that here on Earn and Invest. But from time to time, I like to just talk to our community. Some of those are experts about finances or other things. Some of them are not. But since this is a podcast for community about community, I wanted to take a chance to invite some community members on to talk about what's going on in their lives and what's going on in our lives collectively. So I put a call out on our Facebook group page. That's facebook.com slash groups slash earn and invest. And pretty much asked, how are you doing in the year 2020? And so I have four guests on today, four community members to talk about just that. And speaking of community, want to learn how to manage your money better and in less time today? Jim Wang created WalletHacks.com to help demystify money. For far too long, experts have made it complicated so they can make money off you. WalletHacks.com offers no products, no services, just information to help you become better with your money. And best of all, it's free. Check it out today at WalletHacks.com. That's W-A-L-L-E-T-H-A-C-K-S.com. And be sure to sign up for their free newsletter. Jolene Unland is an agricultural scientist and a wine enthusiast. Jolene, tell us a little bit about NoWines.com. Yes, I started NoWines.com a couple of years ago, really after listening to another podcast. I don't remember which one it was, but essentially I had been doing agriculture science for over 20 years, and I had heard this other podcast discussing talent stacking and trying new things. And my field, as, very, as well as many other fields, have been accelerating towards you know, SEO and content production, et cetera. So it just gave me an avenue outside of work to, to try and to play and try new things like affiliate marketing and writing content. And you're going to have a lot of time to look into those things now that you've retired recently. Yes, I have. So the past uh, 21 years, like you said, I've been an agricultural scientist and I fired at the end of May 2020. 
just for people who don't know, fired financial independence retire early. So we colloquially say someone fired when they retire early. David Blobaum is the co-owner and co-founder of Summit Prep. He calls himself an accidental entrepreneur. David, tell us about that. How is it accidental and what is Summit Prep? Yeah, thanks, Doc G. So yeah, I was originally hired to be a leadership analyst in Pakistan uh, by the CIA and never intended to uh, do test prep, but I needed something to do while my long scope background check cleared. So got into tutoring and absolutely loved it. And the SAT and ACT stand at this interesting juncture between high school and college. And you really have to know a lot of fundamental topics and learn a lot of fundamental skills to do well on those tests. So it's just been a really exciting topic to teach students and be able to set them up for success both in college and for the rest of their lives. But now, David, of course, we have to wonder if you're really a CIA analyst and this <laughs> summit prep is just an extensive and elaborate cover. Yeah. I mean, now that everything's remote, I might be in Pakistan right now. <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't, you know, it doesn't look like Pakistan from where I'm sitting, but you know, it's just a room. So who knows what's, what's outside the world behind you. It's a great green screen behind me actually. So Bill Yount is an emergency physician out of Knoxville, Tennessee. He blogs at Pivot Points MD, and he's the creator of one of my favorite Facebook groups, the Financial Literacy Project. Bill, what's happening at Financial Literacy Project right now? Well, you're too kind, of, first of all, but the uh, Financial Literacy Project is a, just a melting pot where my kids, along with influencers in the space, can get together, ask questions, share content, and just learn together about financial literacy so that we can stamp it out for the next generation. I often say that the Financial Literacy Project is like a sister community to the Earn and Invest podcast Facebook group. We have a lot of the same people involved and cover similar topics, so it's really cool to have watched it grow as Earn and Invest has grown also. Well, thank you very much, Dr. G. And Stephen Chen originally created New Retirement, a platform of online tools, community articles, and a podcast after helping his mom make the transition into retirement. Stephen, your mom isn't alone. Did I see there are 120 million Americans over the age 50? Yeah, that's right. You know, with the, the boomers and now, you know, even the millennials are starting to turn 40. There's a huge cohort of people that are aging and they need, they're living longer and they need to think hard about how they're going to pay for their lives. And, and also, I think there's a huge opportunity for people like Jolene who are trying to fire or get control earlier in their lives as well. So we're trying to facilitate that with content and tools. Speaking of Jolene, 2020 didn't turn out the way most of us expected. Tell us about your plans preceding 2020 and how they've looked now that we've gone through the COVID pandemic and the social unrest, did things happen the way you thought they would? No, they did not. It was actually a fairly recent acquisition and divestment that myself and, and colleagues had gone through that triggered this thought about, and that's actually how I stumbled into financial independence. And I actually used uh, Steve's tool. I started to look at the beginning of 2020 and and was like, wow, this is, this is real. This is a real thing. I didn't quite believe it. I did a lot of research. 
as 2020 progressed, I felt this urgency, and this was before COVID, that I wanted to downsize our home. I wanted to think about a different way of living and working that wasn't in this high-pressure corporate environment. And it was actually a visit to the hospital, to the emergency room during COVID that accelerated things. Later, it, I came to find out that my issue was a pinched nerve in my neck, but sitting there thinking, I don't want to spend the next 20 years of my life sitting in a chair or at a standing desk in, in the corporate world. And so that's when I took the decision. I felt very comfortable uh, with the tools that I was using and with a couple of conversations with financial advisors to accelerate something that I thought would probably happen in 2021 or 2022. Now, I find that exceedingly interesting. So the pandemic in some ways accelerated your trajectory. I would almost think it would be the opposite, that some of that uncertainty would keep us in our jobs. It's almost the safe play. Correct. I think it also, during that preceding holiday season, so like November, December of 2019, I had really... You know, once I looked at the numbers, I was feeling confidence. One of my core values is taking risk. And I think that was what was leading to some frustration at the workplace that there wasn't enough risk. Starting on online business was a way to just put myself out there and experience risk. So, so yeah, I think it's counterintuitive, but I feel very confident about the decision that I made. Bill, let's talk about frustration at the workplace. You and I know each other well, so I know your story and part of what you and I have gone through as well as many physicians is this growing frustration with what medicine is. Part of the way that you've dealt with that, especially in the last few years, is you've really decided to wrangle your finances in order. Tell us a little bit about how the pandemic has affected that struggle. I know a lot of physicians are in a position they never thought they would be. They're getting paid less or they're seeing some of their benefits held or some physicians are even losing jobs. This is new for us. How has it affected your plans of dealing with this workplace frustration? Well, you speak to me actually because personally, professionally, it's changed everything. We downsized as well in December to try and reduce our finances. That was followed by an unexpected job transition for me. It had nothing to do really with COVID. It was just not a right-sized job for me. I wanted to work less and downsize our life, downsize my professional life. And at the same time, COVID hit, and that changed pretty much everything professionally because physicians kind of counterintuitively saw decreases in income, some dramatically and others less so. We saw in the emergency department 40% decrease in volume, which directly impacted our pay in the private world. And you mentioned also the corporatization of medicine. Well, that's a whole topic unto itself, but it certainly impacted how uh, medical care is delivered to the consumer. David, you also have seen major changes in your business because of COVID. Before we started the episode, you had briefly touched on the fact that you had two locations, centers for teaching that are now sitting empty. Talk a little bit about the pivots your company has made and how you've made them personally. We were lucky in that before COVID, about 30% of our students were solely online. So we already had you know, the technology built out and the infrastructure built out to have online sessions. So once COVID hit and there was the lockdown, then we went 100% virtual. It definitely has been a change 
not being able to see coworkers, not being able to interact with those 70% of students in person. But we were lucky or blessed in the sense that at least we were able to continue working with our students and, and educating them. But it's certainly been a change. Steve, talk about your personal and professional goals. What were they starting 2020 and have they changed given life circumstances? Great question. You know, so a couple of things happened with us. We actually raised money for our business for the first time. We were pretty much a bootstrapped company, you know, heading into 2020. And things were definitely, you know, we were kind of on the edge of profitability you know, or burning money, but we were trying to make this thing go bigger. We ended up raising money at the end of March. So right as the cases started to spike. So that definitely changed the trajectory of our company. It gave us, gave us more breathing room. But then in Q2, like the whole market essentially went on pause because our users are, I mean, we've talked to them. A lot of them were like, oh, the market's down 30%. And so they didn't want to think about their money. This is the average retail consumer. And we're obviously trying to encourage them to do the opposite, like be thoughtful and be in control of it. Since then, things have come back. And I would say... Our goals have gone up. You know, we feel like the pandemic was a short-term pause for us, but it's a long-term supporter for what we're doing, which is, you know, we feel like like what Bill's doing. There's there's a huge need for people to help with financial literacy, just educate more folks. It needs to be a lot more scalable. It needs to be a lot less expensive, a lot more accessible. So we're trying to deliver that. And we feel like the need is there. There's more people that are being thoughtful about it and you know, they've seen what's happened. And, and so they're like, okay, I have a second chance now to some degree to like, hey, the market went down, I came back, I kind of looked over the looked into the abyss and saw what could have happened. And hopefully, they're get, taking action to kind of get more control. But we feel like some of those things are drivers for where we're, where we're trying to go with this business. Jolene, Steve said something to the extent of we looked into the abyss, we saw the stock market drop pretty rapidly. You have just started early retirement. And one of the biggest fears of early retirement is something called sequence of returns risk, right? So Mm -hmm. we know that people like you and I and the rest of us who are pushing towards early retirement save up a huge nest egg. And what happens with our economy, especially in those first 10 years after retirement, can really affect whether we have enough money to stay retired. Was there a moment you got antsy there when you looked at the economy or the stock market, or even now as you're looking at it, are you worried that maybe you could fall to the sequence of risk causing you significant problems in the future? At this moment, I don't feel that way. Actually, when the market started to go down in March, We did invest a significant amount into the stock market. To me, it was like, okay, this is counterintuitive, but it's on sale. So I need to put some more money in there. Also, concurrently, we were sitting sitting on top of our, our house that was almost paid for. And that was a large asset. And so we sold that during COVID. And so those, those funds, essentially a portion of those funds, we have planned to keep those fairly liquid for the next uh, three to four years. So ask me that question in four years. <laughs> Bill, Jolene just mentioned a house sale. I know you recently went through a downsize also. Talk about the effects of COVID on your finances and your financial planning. Are you feeling different than you were six months ago? Well, no, because uh, decisions we made earlier in life sort of dictated that we'd be working longer. We 
succumbed to lifestyle inflation early on as physicians for many, many reasons, not what we'll get into, but we're on sort of an eight to 10 year plan to uh, retire just pre-time or on time. And that's not an uncommon story for physicians. And that's one of the reasons I'm trying to get out there in the financial literacy space. The downside certainly has helped and it's unburdened us with stuff and square footage that we just didn't need and weren't using. And financially, it unburdened us as well. It certainly was a bit of an accelerator towards where we want to go, but we have a while to go before we get there. David, I'm hearing words like unburdened and accelerator, certainly not what I would expect people to say when we're talking about a global recession and pandemic. Tell us a little bit about what's happening with your business and how things would be different this year if we hadn't had this pandemic. Do you think you're ahead of where you would have been? Uh, I think we're definitely behind where we would be. So we were growing at about 50% per year. So that's what we were planning on. That's what we hired for. And usually August is by far our busiest month. So it's, you know, I still feel very fortunate that we're still up over last August, actually, but nowhere near the 50% growth. So we didn't shrink, but we certainly didn't even come close to the growth that we were looking at. So that was... I guess not a surprise given all of the turmoil that has happened. Most of the SATs and ACTs have been canceled over the last few months. And the August SAT that was just given this past Saturday, that was the first SAT that was given since last December, December 2019. So it's really hard to prep students for tests that aren't happening. So we're lucky that we've we've survived as well as we have, frankly. Steve, We hear these horror stories. We certainly know of people who are losing their jobs and are suffering financially. Talk about your own personal finances during this time. And also tell us about broadly what you're seeing in this group of retirees or almost retirees that are using the new retirement platform. So I actually did a little bit of what Jolene did. You know, I was long cash and as I've been doing this podcast and talking to those financial experts, I was like, okay, I have the same psychological problem a lot of people do, which is like, okay, when to get in the market and you don't want to market time and, and the best practice is just dump it in. But I couldn't get over that hump. So I had kind of coached myself up and said, okay, if the market tanks, it's going in. The market tanked and I started dumping it in. Then I also started posting on Twitter like, okay, I just bought. Every time I went down, went down 5%, I was like, I just bought. And I kept on doing that. And, you know, lo and behold, it, it did work out. I mean, for now, we'll see. I still anticipate that the market could correct again. It could be pretty bumpy. We'll see. But I mean, long term, I, I know it's the right thing to do. So I, I, I did that. And I think for our users, we definitely saw that our the activity on our site dropped a lot as the market went down. We were talking to our users and they were saying, you know, listen, I just don't want to look at my money. I can't. I know it's down. I don't want to think about it. So that's something that, you know, we have to kind of like talk to our users about. We're trying to do more live events, kind of get in front of them and help coach them up or kind of learn as a community. We just did an AMA and ask me anything. Last Friday, we had 180 people on together like this talking about withdrawals. And it's just interesting to hear different people's stories, let them share about kind of what they're learning and learn with them. 
I actually agree with Jolene and Steve. That was one of the things that I had learned was, you know, when things are on sale, buy, and we rebalanced into the wind, so to speak, and it's worked out really well. I feel really good. And it was the first time in my career that we'd done that because we paid attention. And I feel, you know, really fortunate to have been able to, again, accelerate things by buying into the wind. Jolene, as Steve mentioned, there was this putting our heads in the sand a little bit. When this first happened, people didn't want to think about or talk about money. I noticed even with the downloads of our podcast that there in March when everything really went badly, the downloads went down quite a bit. And I heard that echoed with a lot of podcasters, especially financial podcasters. I feel like we're more optimistic now. Do you feel like we've been through the worst of it? I think we've been through the worst of the immediacy of you know the big drop, but I still think that there are some corrections that are coming. I have no, you know, I'm a scientist, so I have no indication when when those things are coming. I think it's for my preparation is keeping a little bit long on cash, but not unreasonably so. Yeah, Jolene and Dr. Yeah, quick quick comment. I, I was doing a podcast with Morgan Housel, who just published his new book, The Psychology of Money. You know, and he made, he made an interesting point, which is like, you know, there's some talk that 2021 could be huge because, you know, there's the stimulus, there's all this deferred spending, people are kind of hunkering down and they're just hoarding money. People want to travel, they want to go back to bars and restaurants. And, and if we can get through this and people feel safe, they're going to go bananas, which is, there's definitely a case that things could come roaring back. I mean, the economy is still moving along here. It's not and definitely big parts that are in the hole, but other parts, especially the digital parts, are, are on fire. I think, too, just to add on to your points of, you know, the growth, there, there's a lot of people have talked about the disconnect between the economy and the stock market. And so the S&P 500, you know, the 500 largest companies by capitalization really they are disconnected from the broader economy. You know, uh, one small anecdote is there's a local pool supply shop by my house and they were deemed not essential in New Jersey. So they weren't able to open, but Home Depot is open. So you can get those exact same supplies from Home Depot. So the biggest months of the year for that supply shop are May when people are trying to open up their, their pools they're closed for forever now. So a lot, I think a lot of those small businesses going out of business, I think has pushed more business to its consolidated things to those top companies. While the economy to Jolene's point might have a very long road to recovery, those top, those largest companies, they might not have a long road with the consolidation and with the, the way that the, the Fed is now doing an average to its inflation targeting, I think that's going to be pushing up asset prices for quite a while. But Bill, speak to this idea about the difference between the economy and the stock market. Does it bother you seeing this d- disconnect? Does it make you worry about the future of investing? The image that comes to mind is kind of like a large ship going through tr- troubled waters versus a small ship going through troubled waters and uh, the small ships get sunk and the large ships just keep plowing through the waves. I think that's where we're at. It's not what I expected by any means. I didn't expect the V-shaped recovery. I expected a double dip and I don't know that we're yet to see it. It's really counterintuitive and certainly we've enjoyed a quick recovery and it's helped alleviate a lot of the stress and anxiety that people feel in their finances while they're 
fearing for their health at the same time. It's kind of an interesting conundrum and dichotomy between personal health and financial health. Jolene, you're a scientist. How are you dealing with this disconnect? I've noticed in my local area that a lot of businesses are gone. A lot of restaurants have closed down and they're never coming back. On the other hand, when I get on calls like this or when I talk to people from my community, I think there's a huge amount of optimism. So which one is it? Are we in a really bad place with people losing their jobs and the cash is running out and we're going to have a real problem? Or are we managing this and moving forward and starting to get our head back over water? I I think the latter very much. So as having gone through this recent downsizing, I had we had no difficulty selling our very large house and also following really no difficulty unloading some of these assets and things we had purchased as part of lifestyle creep. So presently supplied. So yeah, I see a very much a disconnect. I don't watch the television, but talking to people that do a disconnect, but what's being talked about on the media versus what I experience in, in both uh, very rural areas. So I did have the opportunity to visit my family, farm family in Kansas and here in a more urban and beach setting. It is more optimistic. I think people were shocked and surprised and not really knowing what to do the first couple of months, but, but life needs to go on. I have friends having babies, getting married, etc. So so yeah, it was like a two-month shot, and then what are we going to do? Are we going to live in fear? Are we going to live our lives? And part of retiring early is also essentially in saving all this money ahead of time is to buy back some of your, your lifetime. You know, we're only here, some of us, for maybe a few more years, but some of us for decades and decades. We just don't know. Yeah, I concur. I mean, personally, this was a very interesting roller coaster because I'm an empty nester and our kids had flown the coop and gone to college. And COVID, while a health catastrophe was personally for us quite a boon as far as family closeness, our kids came home. They were here for three to five months. We got a second chance at sort of regrouping and empty nesting thereafter. They're now back at college and it's being managed very well at their colleges, actually, unlike some that you make the news. But we really enjoyed close family time, making a lot of meals together, going on walks. The dogs really loved it. They were never in their crates and kennels. They got plenty of walks. But so what I think has happened here is not very unlike Elizabeth Kubler-Ross's stages of death and dying. And just to take you through them, I mean, initially there's the shock. You tell somebody, are going to die and they're just kind of blank. And after that, there's a period of denial. And we went through that as well. Beyond that, you kind of get angry and you start bargaining for things to be better. And then eventually there's sort of a catharsis and you come to an acceptance. And I think we've gone through all those phases and we're kind of at acceptance. We're all wearing our masks. We're getting about life like, yes, this happened, but we have to move on. We have to move forward. There's no other choice. And the other thing that came to mind when I was preparing for this talk is it's not unlike something called the Stockdale Paradox, where Admiral Stockdale was long imprisoned in Vietnam. And one of the things that got him through was the fact that he had faith that he would get through, but he also confronted and accepted all the brutal facts of today. So we're doing the same thing. We're accepting the brutal facts, but we have faith that, you know, we shall persevere. We're here talking about how we as individuals and as a community are dealing with this unprecedented year, 2020. David, Bill talked 
about how in some ways this has been a boon, especially with family time. And I have to admit the same has been true in my household. We've spent more quality time with the kids than we would have. Tell me some good things that have happened to you in 2020. Yeah. So a lot has, a lot of good things have been happening, which is great. So you and I talked, what, in maybe in March and it, I mean, it was, it was an amazing few months for me in quarantine where I was maybe working 16 hours a day because I just had so much energy working from home. And I was able to record maybe 50 hours of training videos for my tutors. And I was blogging more, reading more. And what quarantine and this lockdown has taught me is really what I value most in life because everything was stripped away. Most social interactions were stripped away, going out to dinner, going on trips, anything that we would spend our money on normally was stripped away. So there was certainly a soul searching. And for myself personally, I connected more with my faith and found a lot more purpose and fulfillment in everything that I'm doing in life because I connected more with my faith. So that's where I ended up and I'm happier now than I was at in March. So I don't, I don't have a family besides my wife at home. So there wasn't people coming back to the nest like for, for Bill, but still it's been a time of personal fulfillment and a lot of productive growth. Steve, would it be fair to say that you're coming out of 2020 better off maybe than you were coming into it? Yeah, for sure. I think that, you know, we feel like we're on the right track with the business we've been growing our team. So our team is now 18 people. You know, we're definitely seeing a lot of good things happening and tailwinds now from all the change that's been happening with the markets and the economy. It's just a super interesting time to kind of be alive and especially doing our business. So I feel pretty energized about that. And yeah, also like Bill, I have three kids. One's in college. He came back. And so I've seen kind of the, I mean, it, generally it's been good, right? But I think, you know, having the kids around, but also I feel the pain for every parent that has kids that's kind of going through homeschooling is going through, which is very tough to try to educate your, I mean, our kids, one, the kid in college is back at college, which is good, kind of doing distance there. And by the way, he got COVID and then recovered. So he kind of went back into a, <laughs> into the cesspool, but they got it and, and got better. But the other kids, you know, trying to run a business, educate your kids at home, run everything via Zoom. It's, it's definitely like not simple. And, and parents are a huge cohort of working people out there they're still kind of dealing with that. In the first half of the show, Jolene, Steve, Bill, and David talked about the expectations they had coming into the new year. After the break, we discuss surviving 2020. But first, want to learn how to manage your money better and in less time today? Jim Wayne created WalletHacks.com to help demystify money. For far too long, experts have made it complicated so they can make money off you. WalletHacks.com offers no products, no services, just information to help you become better with your money. And best of all, it's free. Check it out today at WalletHacks.com. That's W-A-L-L-E-T-H-A-C-K-S.com. And be sure to sign up for their free newsletter. Jolene, when do you think we'll get back to normal? And will we ever get back to normal? Or has the world changed? I fully believe that the world has changed. I think what we're experiencing now is, is close to new normal, likely for the next year and a half, two years, perhaps even longer. So 
So yeah, I think it, it depends upon when a vaccine comes out and how people you know, embrace the vaccine or do we have a second wave? So there's a lot of variables, but I think what we're experiencing now, September, October of 2020 might be a lot like what new normal is. That's what I foresee. Bill, speak to the same issue. When will we get back to normal or will we ever get back to normal? Well, I see it from both sides because as an emergency physician, I still see a moderate level of daily COVID cases. I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a daily occurrence at work. And you tell these people that this is what's going on and then you see the fear in their face uh, because it's the unknown. You don't know what's happening next. Will I recover? Will I get sicker? You just don't know. On the personal side, one thing I've seen is that it's induced a sort of new frugalism, I think. People realize that they don't need as much as they had before. Will consumerism go back to levels that it was before? I don't think so. I think people kind of realize that they got excessive and they've sort of honed it back to sort of a steady state. And they don't need as much stuff or as many experiences, although the experiences are certainly much more valuable than the stuff. But that's it's certainly happened in our lives uh, with the downsize and we're doing better because of it. It's, it's, it's healthier. It's kind of like a, a welcome diet. David, it's an interesting question. Do you think our financial lives as a community have changed for good because of what we've experienced in the last few months? I think that generally things revert back to a mean. You know, I mean, if you read ancient Greek dramas, Aristophanes was a comedian. He was making the same jokes that you would see on a late night talk show today. (laughs) And it is just shocking how humans are humans. And there's this core human nature that is unchanging. And we can try and change from that norm. So, I mean, when we look at, especially some societies that have gone more from the norm of community, then incidences of depression and things like that go up. So if we do go from the norm, I think that will be detrimental in many ways if we don't go back to more in-person community. I do think, though, that generally speaking, the it's a higher probability that we will go back to the norm, just using history as a guide. There, were, there was a large work, well, there continues to be a large work from home movement. But what people have found is that people who started working at home five years ago, while there was an initial spike in productivity when they started working from home, then productivity started to go back down over a while because people wanted to see coworkers, what what really bound them to their jobs and gave them meaning in life was that community. So I think that we will, over time, continue to, you know, go back to that older norm. Yeah, just a, you know, quick follow-up comment on that. I, I feel like, to a great degree, COVID is kind of bucketing people in terms of impact. And I think younger people are actually bearing, even though they come through the disease healthier and are mostly fine, they're bearing kind of the the mental health and the the lifestyle costs in a much bigger way. I see this with with my kids. And and also, I think you see in the data, 
around mental health issues for people that are kind of like young adults that are 18 to 25. And, and this goes also to work. You know, they want to be out socializing. That's why they're going back to bars and, and going to parties at colleges. They want to work in offices because they want to meet other young people and hang out with them. Kids in high school want to play sports. They want to hang out with their friends. If you're 50, your kids are out of the net, you know, out of the house and you're kind of like, hey, I'm already like I work at home, right? You know, I don't love to do travel business, travel for business. I'm perfectly fine to hang out in my garage, do podcasts and like <laughs> crank out software and stuff like that. No problem. But <laughs> that's me, right? If I was if I was like 30 or 25 years old, I'd probably be pretty bummed out at what's happening. And I think that's a real cost that we have to look at. And I think we're going to see this impact five, 10 years down the road. If this goes on for another two years, I think you're going to look at this cohort of kids and, and they're going to have longer term adverse effects. And it, it's, it's like, I'm definitely in favor of getting schools open. I mean, it's safely, but you know, I think that there, we, we need to kind of look at the, the, the total cost of this and think about it from a pretty long-term perspective. Jolene, if you were to be tasked with writing a survival guide to 2020, what do you think some of the key points would be? Oh, that's an excellent question. I think just from my personal experience and some of my friends is it's it's really resilience and taking time and really processing through your feelings about things. Things have you know, even though we talked earlier about things accelerating as far as moving towards financial independence, things have deaccelerated. I think in the personal space, back to Steve's point, especially for older people. So yeah, you kind of get into this rut of way things are. So it's it's really focusing on resiliency, focusing on your health. I think this, you know, cooking at home thing has been helpful to a lot of people people going and you know, we see a resurgence in the RV community, people going and doing hiking, et cetera, in our parks that are open. So yeah, focus on health. It's the main points that I would say for 2020 is, you know, do everything you can to work on your resilience, personal health, and think about the future. This episode is brought to you by Range Rover Sport. Range Rover Sport leads by example. With a visceral, uncompromising, and dramatic feel, this car helps you rise to the occasion. How does it do that? Range Rover Sport has powerful on-road performance and commanding all-terrain capability by combining assertiveness with signature Range Rover refinement. This is the car that redefines sporting luxury. The new Range Rover Sport features advanced cabin technologies such as active noise cancellation and cabin air purification, purposeful cockpit-like driving position, and award-winning PIVI Pro infotainment is at the heart of the experience and provides intuitive control of the vehicle systems. Design your Range Rover Sport at LandRoverUSA.com. Once again, explore and build your Range Rover Sport at L-A-N-D-R-O-V-E-R. USA.com. That's LandRoverUSA.com. Bill, any keys to survival to add? What's gotten you through 2020? I agree with Jolene. It's really a resilience factor, but it's sort of sticking to your core values, getting back, stripping down all the excess layers of the onion and getting to a sense where, yes, I'm going to focus on family. Yes, I'm going to focus on my personal development. I've read more than I've read in the last 20 years, in the last six months, probably, and I've really enjoyed it. Focus on your relationships. The generation, to your point, Steve, that I feel sorry for, too, isn't just the young generation. I miss seeing my mother. 
she's sort of holed up in her house. She's scared to see me. Not only am I an emergency physician and potential vector, but I think that goes for a lot of people. There are people holed up in nursing homes that cannot physically see their family. And it's it takes a huge toll on these families at a time of life where you need to be seeing your loved elder ones. It, it's been stripped away from you. So there's, there's, there's bipolar kind of generational issues, I think, that are at play. David, when you're 80 years old and you're sitting with your children, grandchildren, and great-grandchildren around you, what will be the legacy of 2020? What will be the overall impact and what you think you'll be telling your kids and grandkids about? I hope that I'll be telling them to live their life as if we were living in quarantine in some ways, to just value what is really valuable. That, as Bill said, when you strip away everything, what really matters, family, um, what Jolene said, exercise, so you have good health. Also what Bill said, reading, just continuing to learn, to develop, continuing to improve yourself mentally, physically, I would also say spiritually. I think that those are, those are lessons that I'm going to take away from, for the rest of my life, and I hope that I will pass on to my kids and grandkids. Steve, we've made a point specifically talking about this pandemic and finances. We haven't talked much about social unrest or politics. Do you think those things are changing the overall optimism that we're talking about here today, or does it feel like they're one and the same? That's a great question. Yeah, I mean, I would, you know, just what Dave was saying, it's like 2020 is good. I mean, I think we're going to look back and it's like, COVID, right? I mean, I live in California. We've got these fires and it's like, you feel like your house could burn down. And sometimes when it's, the air is all smoky, it feels like apocalypse is here. The economy, right? With the huge change and then politics and protests and everything else is happening. It is crazy times. I mean, on, on the one hand, I'm super optimistic, right? If people are engaging in the political process, they're getting educated, they're getting out there, you know? But on the other hand, you see uh, there's real risk. I mean, when I see armed people or people bringing guns to these protests and, you know, other people call them riots, but, you know, you kind of like, that's not good. You know, you just know something bad is going to happen if you put two armed groups together. It's not like they're showing up with bats or something. They're showing up with AR-15s. And now and now we're starting to have shootings, right? On a last week, we've had a couple shootings at two different places. It's And so you do worry that can we, as a society, have a good dialogue with each other, listen to each other without kind of coming into it with like, hey, I've got my perspective. I don't really care what the other person has to say. And you know what? I'm, I'm ready to shoot somebody about it, which is insane. I mean, my kids are going to these things. I'm like, hey, listen, I want you to go and be able to express yourself. But if you see someone with a gun, it's like, you got to leave, right? Which is, which is an insane thing to say, right? To your children. I think what channels into the anger and violence is really it's fueled by anxiety. I have the benefit of having a wife who's a psychiatrist, and she's never been busier than she is now. The anxiety levels in our society, although we're optimistic, I think there's this subliminal, just under the surface degree of anxiety that will manifest itself one of two ways, into optimism or into pessimism, anger, violence, fear. You, you got to learn how to channel your anxiety because it's going to be there. And we need to help channel the population's anxiety into sort of a more progressive, optimistic fashion. 
as well as interpersonally and personally, we need to channel our own anxieties into a more productive uh, manner. Jolene first, and then David next. Are you feeling optimistic? I'm feeling optimistic. I think there, you know, in the last few months, and maybe it's been more intentional about reading or listening to podcasts about people having more nuanced discussions versus these polarizing discussions. You know, I've spent quite a bit of time actually like the last few months thinking about cancel culture and and then also like when I have a possibility to amplify the voice of someone who's not like me, I can, you know, help in that regard. So there's, I think there's a lot of opportunities that are out there for people to to help and to improve the situation that might feel small, but they are impactful. David, overall, are you feeling optimistic? Overall, absolutely, 100%. I would, for that, I would say, honestly, not to harp on it, but it would go back again to my faith that I feel eternally optimistic. Now, do I feel optimistic about everything going on in the culture? Absolutely not. I think what Steve said about dialogue is I could not agree more. I mean, like Doc G, when you had Mr. Money Mustache on and you guys disagreed on some things, I absolutely loved that it was a respectful disagreement. I would love to see good, respectful dialogue. I think we would learn so much. And I mean, just last night I was, you know, on the phone with one of my friends and we, we, completely disagree on most of these issues, but we completely love each other. So if we, if we have more conversations uh, across the aisle and across people, you know, with different viewpoints, that would make me more optimistic about our culture because I know that we can come together and have common sense solutions as long as we get on the same page. I think for everybody, if you look inside it, like, so in our family, we have a pretty big extended family and, and people have political views across the spectrum. As you've known these, I mean, we've, you know, as you kind of talk to people over decades, everybody wants the same thing, right? They want to take care of their kids. They want to have opportunities for them and for themselves, have a good quality of life, all those other good things, right? We all want the same stuff. It's not that complicated. I do think that the kind of concentration of wealth in this country is a problem, right? I'm a beneficiary of it, right? I live in a high cost area. We make money, da, 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 all the rest of it. But reality is, you know, people have to have opportunities. They have to feel like there's a way forward. And I think for a lot, big parts of this country, it's getting harder. And if it's too hard and there's too much concentration, you can look at other societies, right? A lots of, you know, societal breakdowns and revolutions happen because there's way too much concentration in a very small sliver. And so it's actually in the best interest of people who have all the money to think about ways to help other people. You know, I, I love capitalism, right? I think people need incentives, right? I don't think you should just kind of give it all away. You, you know, people should be rewarded. But Jeff Bezos has $200 billion, right? 200,000 million millionaires in one guy. It's just incredible, right? So I don't know. There's, there's definitely things that can be done to kind of like create opportunity, leverage that money in different ways. Well, I wanted to thank all you guys for coming on. I, like you, feel both a sense of trepidation and optimism. Trepidation at the pandemic and worrying about how we're going to deal with it. Trepidation about social unrest and gender and race inequality and the wealth gap. 
On the other hand, I found that when we can come together in communities like this, where we can have these kind of conversations, we find that we have more in common with those that we disagree with than otherwise. So it's been a great conversation. It's great to see how you guys are surviving 2020. And I think your sentiments echo a lot of what is going on in our community as a whole. I like to end this episode the way I end every episode by asking you guys what's up next in your life and where we can find you. Steve, let's start with you. What's up next in your life and where can we find you if we want to learn more? Yeah, Doc G, thanks for having me on. I really appreciate it. Yeah, you can find us at newretirement.com or on Facebook forward slash newretirement. We have a community there. You know, we're just focused on uh, growing our user base. Uh, we're trying to hit 200,000 planners early next year. That's a big milestone for us and just kind of get the word out. So it is all kind of word of mouth. So things like this are super awesome to just be able in front of other people and kind of share what we're about. But uh, we're also learning a lot with our community. I mean, we feel like the answer is kind of like learning together versus, hey, you know, we're the experts. We have all the answers. And Jolene, tell us more about nowines.com. Maybe there'll be a podcast in the future. And where can we find you if we want to know more? Uh, yes. Thanks, Doc G, for having me and this panel uh, today. And yes, I blog over at www.nowines. That's K-N-O-W-wines.com. And yes, I have a passion about the Bordeaux region and, and wine grape growers are farmers at the end of the day. So yeah, so speaking out for for them. They've also had unique challenges during this time. So thanks again. Bill Yount, it is always a pleasure talking to you. Tell us what's up next in your life and where can we find you? Well, Doc G, I thank you for that. I'm one of your biggest fans with your podcast. And you can find me at the Financial Literacy Project uh, on Facebook. Um, you can find me in Knoxville, Tennessee, too. Uh, one of the best things about this virtual world is that you get to meet the people that you meet virtually. So I do look forward to meeting anyone and everyone that uh, is in the Financial Literacy Project or in these communities, because I find you all fascinating. And David Blobam is the co-creator of Summit Prep. Tell us what's happening there and where people can find you if they want to know more. Thanks, Doc G. And this was fantastic. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, you can find us at summitprep.com. We specialize on the SAT and ACT. And it's our goal just to empower students to succeed in life. So if anyone wants to have a conversation about the best plan for their child holistically to succeed, we'd love to have that conversation. And what's up next is just trying to help as many students as we can. This panel has been a representation, a group of members from our community on Facebook. That's facebook.com slash groups slash earn and invest. I wanted to thank Bill, David, Jolene, and Steve. That's a wrap. I have a theory about when you're starting a new business or platform. If you want it to really work, you have to be the right person with the right idea at the right time. So I'm really excited to have Vincent Puglisi on again with us today. And we are going to talk about his new venture, the Youth Entrepreneur School. And this is a perfect example of what I'm talking about because there's no question that Vincent is the right person. If you know him, if you've been involved in his masterminds, he is a master at creating and he's really good at teaching. And then if you think about the idea, talking about education at this time when 
We're worried about our children, worried about their quality of education. We're worried about what's going on in the world, even before the pandemic. And then last but not least, that time aspect, as kids are learning virtually from home around the United States, we all have this major question, are they learning what they need? Are they getting the education that's going to serve them in the future? So we're going to talk about all those things today, as well as the Youth Entrepreneur School Vincent Puglisi, welcome back to the show. Thank you, buddy. I appreciate this. Hey, man, it's great to see you. I love this idea. Tell us about Youth Entrepreneur School. What is it and how did you come up with the idea? Yeah, it's something where it was interesting because as soon as the pandemic hit, right, we're working on our businesses and we were traveling, actually. We were on the road for three months with our kids. We do that every winter. We leave and go somewhere warmer than Pittsburgh and enjoy that. But we started getting all these questions because all of a sudden, all these parents were thrust into, my goodness, we're homeschooling now, right? Now, all of a sudden, we need to figure all this stuff out. And what do we do? And all the questions really were based around, for the most part, how do we do this in the moment? How do I survive, right? How do I survive working, taking care of my kids, teaching them what they're trying to get us to learn and have all these worksheets? And we were like, so we're starting to go in that direction of teaching almost homeschooling. And we're like, we don't really want to go there because everybody that was asking us, it was really about a short-term fix. How do I learn how to do this until they go back to school and I can go back to my regular life? I'm like, that's not, we're not band-aids. It's not the way that we work. So we kind of went back and forth, but we started getting these questions about like, no, what do you guys do? Because you don't, they're not going back to school. We've homeschooled for seven years now and just a completely different approach. So we've toyed around the idea in a lot of different ways and, and, I always believe in terms of building a business, you thrash it out. You move forward and you figure things out quickly. You make mistakes. And then once you know it, you go like ready, fire, aim type of thing. And it was a lot of thinking until we actually went for a hike one day and we're trying to figure it out. And I was like, it just popped in my head. This is the title, Youth Entrepreneur School. And then walked about 10 more steps, something about going out in nature. And it was like real education for real life. And I ran up to Elizabeth. I'm like, I think I have it because we toyed around with names. And everybody we brought it to was like, that sounds like it. Because what we wanted to do was really start teaching the way that we try to teach our kids in terms of like, you have to learn real education. And I'm not putting down the school system. And it might seem at times while we're talking today that I am to make a point, but I don't think that in school, they're being taught real life skills very often. They're being taught how to be a great test taker often, but not how to be a great adult, not, not being taught... How are you going to handle the real world in terms of money, in terms of communication, connection, relationships, failure, rejection, all the things, building a business, all the things that we get to adulthood and we go, crap, why didn't I learn this in school, right? All those type of things, how to invest, right? Like you talk, adults talk about this stuff. Why don't, why aren't kids taught this way? And from that came, like you can see on my wall, like the pattern of, the courses that are being developed and the, and the, the roadmap that it'll take on, we started realizing, oh my goodness, a lot of the stuff that we teach adults is very applicable to kids. And why aren't we teaching this sooner as opposed to them always going away to college, having a six-figure debt, coming out of college, and then learning this at 29 or 33 when you already have a wife and kid or a spouse and kids, and then having to start over again. So a lot into that right there. That's how it started. So let me be clear about this. This is not a replacement for traditional school. And in a sense, it's not even really a replacement for homeschooling, is it? No, neither. Neither. It's not supposed to take the place. It, it, I guess you can call it a supplement, but it's when you're homeschooling, even when you're in school, you're learning different subjects, right? 
and, and you're going here and you're going there. In youth entrepreneur school, so much of it is about, it's like, it's not about learning math. We don't believe in that. What we believe in is, is interest-based learning that encompasses it gets everything in there. So when our son at 15 builds a business, you bring everything in it together and you get to learn in real time with real lessons. So you're learning about math because you're running a business and you need to calculate math and you're learning about relationships and you're learning about how to build these things. You're learning about communication. One of our sons, you know, they, they both have a, a lawn care business and two times in a row, <laughs> they gave a price for a job and both of the people that hired them said, no, you guys got to start charging a little bit more, right? If I would have told them that, they wouldn't have listened to me, right? I'm dad's like, oh, whatever, we'll figure it out. Or if they would have learned it in a textbook or a video, it'd be something they'd write down, they'd pass the test on it, but they wouldn't feel it emotionally. But when you go do a weeding job down the block and you're pulling weed for four days and you make $100 and you realize, oh, that was a lot of work for $100, then you do it again, and then the other person says, you really need to charge more. Real life lessons, and then at the same time, you have to learn how to price yourself. You have to learn how to communicate with an adult, how to have a conversation. You can't really mumble and get the job done, right, or get the job. So it's not. It's not supposed to be a replacement for anything. It's supposed to weave into life the things that we should be learning, in our opinion, to make great adults. As you were making this curriculum, how did you decide how much of it was geared towards the parents versus towards the kids themselves? That's a great question because it's still, it's still in development. This is still, we're opening it up. We have courses built and recorded, but we're going to build out the spider web as it goes along because one of the courses that we did, the first one we did was called de-schooling. And most people haven't even heard of it. But what de-schooling is, is pretty much forgetting everything that you've learned as a parent and even almost as a kid because you've what what holds people up so often is they're so used to a certain structure that they can't even think about doing something different than this structure. Like what is the curriculum? It's like, there doesn't necessarily have to be a curriculum. You've just been taught that there has to be. So de-schooling and wish, we wish we would have done this when we started homeschooling was basically forgetting the procedures of what you did for six months or four months, whatever it is, and allowing your kids to start figuring out what they actually like doing. And this is just something that does not get taught in school. When I went to school, my kids went, nobody asked me what I wanted to learn, right? Nobody ever said, hey, what are you interested in? So we could dive into that. It was always, well, here's what you're going to learn. Here's what you need to learn. And my, so that was one of the lessons that we built out was de-schooling. And it came from me. I mean, you know, my history, I was a sports photographer, right? I was a terrible student though. But when I was, when I was 14 and 15, my teacher said to me like, well, you love, told my parents, he loves reading about sports, but he hates doing anything that we tell him to do. And nobody, it, nobody, it didn't click for anybody at that time, but I was very frustrated. There's a lot of kids there right now, whatever interest they're in, right? Well, at 22, I learned I could, wait a second, I could be a sports photographer. Like, is that for real? Like a real job? Like I will be on the field making money, rubbing elbows with my heroes and idols. And my job every day is to go to a stadium to take pictures. Like, you got to be kidding me. Pinch me. So once that was developed as a career, I realized Then I looked back at high school and I was like, I look back to that teacher, that guidance counselor that said, he doesn't want to learn what we want to learn. He only wants to learn what he wants. He doesn't want to learn what we want. He wants to do his own stuff. If my guidance counselor said to me, and this is where it really relates to a lot of kids, my guidance counselor said to me, you know, you could be a sports photographer or a journalist or a writer. Like I'm five, nine, five, nine and a half. I'm never going to make, and I'm a slow white guy. I'm never going to make it in the pros. <laughs> 
but you could still be on the field doing this stuff and have a dream career for what you love. If they would have told me that at 14, I would have been the best student at Roslyn High School. Would have been the best. I would have been so driven. Instead, I was the worst because I didn't study anything that I wanted to study. So, so much of what we talk about is interest-based learning, figuring out what your kids actually would do anyway. What would they do in their free time when they're bored? And taking that, learning from that, developing the interest around that. And then from there, creating these ideas, these businesses, these income streams. So they actually not only love what they're doing, but they're, but they're passionate about doing it and teaching others to do it as well. I feel like what you're talking about is touched on a little bit in the more progressive educations. They've started using project-based learning, and you hear them use this term maker spaces all the time now, trying to get kids to have a little bit more hands-on interaction. And that sounds very similar to what you're talking about. Yeah, very, very much. That's, that's how we learn by doing. We don't learn by doing lectures, usually, you know, but we learn by doing, we learn by making mistakes. We learn by figuring things out. And I just think that's, that's why I'm so glad to hear that in terms of some of the more progressive schools, because it truly is everything that I've ever learned. It comes, like I said about our kids in terms of the pain of undercharging. You, you don't feel that in a lesson. You don't feel that in a test. Every great story of mine comes from pain. It comes from a mistake that I made that I had to learn and then learn from, but that never happened to me when I was in traditional education. It happened literally from the moment I left and beyond. So I'm like, I learned more in that life than I ever did in the previous one. What we're talking about in a sense is friction, right? And so every great business idea helps with a friction point, a friction someone is having in their lives. Clearly, we all know that our current educational system suffices for certain types of learning, but not for others. Isn't anyone out there doing this already? I mean, this is a friction point I think people have been feeling for the last five years for sure. No one else out there is creating this kind of entrepreneurial experience for kids. I don't know. I'm not saying, I don't know. I didn't really study it. I don't, I don't believe in competition. I believe in collaboration. I don't study the comp. I don't, study their prices or what they do. I had somebody say to me like, oh, there's another guy. I can't remember his name. Like he's doing exactly what you're doing, what you're talking about. And immediately I'm like, no, they're not. They're not, no matter what it is, they're not in our head in terms of how we're developing it. So I, I encourage it. I want more people. This is not about dominating a market or controlling a market. I hope what we're doing inspires other people to do something similar because it's just like homeschooling. Five years ago, homeschooling was a bunch of crazy people, right? (laughs) According to the populace, that's like they make their own clothes and they're just these weird people that are antisocial, whatever. And now people realize, wait a second. I mean, some people might think that, but it has completely expanded into all like a million micro niches of it. And I think the same thing is going to happen here. I think this is not going to be for everybody, but there are a lot of people that realize my kids need to learn this stuff and they're not learning it. Or you're going to get a lot of students like me that, you know, whether they're ADHD or whatever it is. They don't learn the way the traditional school system is built. Nothing against the school system that works for a lot of people, but it doesn't necessarily work for everybody. And we all know that. That's why you have those people. But you also see the people that don't do well in school that wind up doing really good in business because they weren't rule followers and they weren't ones that are going to just be great test takers, but they're going to figure stuff out and they're going to lead. And that's what we're building this for because we want to create future leaders and problem solvers. So that's, there might be people doing it and I hope there are but I just know that we just focus on our own stuff. 
Let's talk a little bit about the nuts and bolts of the Youth Entrepreneur School. It is a membership type program, correct? And what types of materials and experiences do you offer? Yeah, what's really fun is we create courses for it. So we'll have courses in all different areas, Kids and Money 101, in terms of different business ideas from each season, summer, fall, winter, um, courses for parents like de-schooling, volunteering, like the value of volunteering. So undervalued in this society, so many of the lessons our kids have learned from has been going into areas that we don't live in and being in there and being in a soup kitchen and feeding making lunch for others where you get to see what the world is like and you get to have empathy for understanding what else is going on outside of your little bubble. So all, all the different courses that we're creating, but then we have two live calls a month, which is really great. And it's so much fun to see the kids and the parents work together. So it's not just kids, right? Parents are getting on there. So it's creating a mutual involvement where it brings the family closer as well. Cause you got the parents sitting there talking and then to see their eyes light up. Cause they get on there and they're really at first often very, they don't want to speak up and then, then they'll bring up an idea and one of the parents or one of the kids will support it or give a thought on it. And all of a sudden these different things start coming up. So we had a couple of kids within just the, within the founding membership, start businesses from ideas on the call and then turn it actual, into actual businesses that are helping and earning income already. And then when you get that momentum going, that excitement, then you can keep moving with it. So we have the live calls, we have the courses, and we have a forum and a community to be able to get together on, ask questions. That's really the, that's really the, the, probably the three pillars to it. What I love about what you're doing is there is this educational aspect, but there's also this masterminding aspect to it, which is very much what you've been doing for a living for the last few years. Kids can benefit from masterminding just as much as adults. It, that, the funny part about it is I was nervous about the call part of it. Like, what's it going to be like? You know, I have my kids, but I haven't really talked to, you know, other kids on Zoom about this. Um, but to be able to ask them questions and to be able to, for them to ask questions and in real time, get the back and forth and not what's beautiful about it on top of the mastermind, which I love, you know, and, and I guess I'm built for it cause I've done it for five years now, but it's not all the same age. It's not like a 14 year old. And that's where I think school is built. And I think it's a mistake where, you know, I don't care how old you are, right? We could be friends. I don't, it doesn't matter. I'm not like, oh, in school, unless you're the same age, you don't, you hang out with people. Only, if you're 14 years old, that's the, who you hang out with. If you're 15, they're idols. If they're 13, they're idiots, right? That's the way it was when I was in school. This isn't that way. We have 15 year olds and 12 year olds and, you know, different ages where they can learn from each other and they could also teach each other. So it allows the leaders to lead and it allows them to go back and forth and build different, build ideas off of each other. So they have like one girl who's wanted to do t-shirts. Another one wanted to do that as well. So they can collaborate and talk about their different ideas and have an environment where it's like, oh, I'm not the weird one because if everybody else is just about taking a test and you want to build a business, you feel odd. These kids want empowerment. I just got a message yesterday. Like they're the one guy that's in it, his kids are like, I want to earn my own money. I want to buy my own stuff. It wasn't like that three months ago because they were used to mom and dad buying it. So we teach them responsibility of when you buy your own stuff, you care about it more as opposed to when I buy it for you, you don't care about it. So a lot of personal responsibility goes into it. So this sounds like it's a very mixed age, quote unquote, classroom. Is there any age that's too young? Yep. You know, we started, that's the thing about doing a founding beta group is kind of like, we, we thought it would be a little bit younger, but we realized under 10, it just didn't fit. 
the ideas didn't fit. So we're basically saying 10 and up. And we're not saying that that won't evolve or change or there won't be kind of certain segments that break off, right? Because you're always evolving, you're always pivoting. But for now, we're saying 10 and up and basically through those late teenage years, because we have people, I think, up to 18 in there um, that we could do. We really, we really have this vision of like, what would the world be like if instead of coming out of college, and again, I'm not going to knock college, but I'm just going to give an alternative point of view. Instead of coming out of college at 22 with six figures of debt and a degree and going to get a job, what, what if you built a business during that time? What if you saved up an emergency fund that most adults don't even have? What if you paid for your own car with your own money? What if you were saving up to buy a house, right? At 22 years old, what would the world look like if more young adults started thinking this way? Less debt, more money in the bank, less stress. How much better would families be? Like that's the vision for the, almost like that's almost a graduation that we're seeing down the road as opposed to a degree. And this is meant to be and completely agile as a virtual business, correct? I mean, people can join as a member and virtually they'll have everything at their fingertips. Exactly. And it's not about here, you have to do all this at the same time. That life doesn't work that way. You know, especially when the hard part of this is you're blending not just the kids' schedules, but you're blending parents' schedules as well, right? You might not all be able to get on the same calls or do the same thing at the same time. We get that. So we record the calls so you can watch them, but you get the lessons at your disposal to be able to take. And then you take the, the worksheets that go with it and you can fill it out at your own pace. Like we, oh, one of the lessons is about um, a business plan, creating a business plan. So it's, I think, 16 two-minute lessons that you take at your own pace you go with, with what works for you. And it doesn't mean we all have to do it at the same exact time because that can get very stressful. And there's no point in everybody going at the same pace. You go at your pace and you take it as you want to go. So there really is a lot, of, a lot of freedom that comes with that to go and do what you need to do at your own pace. So the program is the Youth Entrepreneur School. Vincent Puglisi, if people want to know more or sign up, how can they do that? Yeah, it's easy. Youthentrepreneur.school is the domain. And we created a free PDF. It's a cute little thing where it's just 10 business ideas for kids. And all of the business ideas are from kids that are in, yes, that are in Youth Entrepreneur School that have built even the smallest business, but just the ideas and how they came about. So how in, these aren't just made up thoughts. These are real businesses from kids within it. So they can get an idea um, on the website. You can get the free PDF download. So youthentrepreneur.school is the website. And Hopefully, there'll be a podcast coming out soon about it. So it's pretty exciting. Vincent Puglisi, the right guy with the right idea at the right time. It's the Youth Entrepreneur School. Sounds amazing. And thanks for coming in and telling us about it. Thank you, buddy. You're awesome. I appreciate it. Hey, let me turn it around to you, Doc G. What, what have you done to survive? I mean, I know your family's doing well, and but what kinds of things have you done? Let's turn the questions back to you. Yeah, so I think there are a number of things. One is I've definitely buried myself in this passion of making a podcast. So I was lucky enough to not have the economic pressure that I could dive head deep into doing this podcast. It was something I was interested and passionate about, and this gave me the excuse to really do it because I was confined to the house. I couldn't, I mean, I had tons of speaking events that all got canceled. I had tons of meetups I was supposed to go to. The kids were busy doing their own thing. My wife was busy. So it really created that time to go after my passion and use that to enrich me and make me feel good about what was going on. I definitely have tried 
to keep up with exercise, keep up with meditation, kind of the basics of trying to keep myself mentally there and intact because I think it's hard being home. I think that sense of isolation, the sense of worry about where our community is going, I think the political stuff doesn't help either, right? The the worry about where our country is going and you put it all together. For me, it's been more kind of trying to take care of myself and trying to find what I'm passionate about. And lucky enough that we actually do get along fairly well with our kids. So we have a 15 year old and a 12 year old and we all tend to like to be together and we spend time together and that so far, we haven't really gotten on each other's nerves too much. So that's how I've kind of survived it. I feel optimistic. Um, I don't know how that optimism will play itself out but I feel hopefully we'll find a way. And if we don't, I can't control it anyway, right? All I can do is make the little difference in my world that I can make and hope that it means something. Um, And so I think that's where we are. So your podcast is a source of optimism for a lot of people. So thank you. And I, I certainly try to, you know, I try to, I try to stay optimistic, but be real too. It feels really good to be productive, but a lot of the time it's easier said than done, especially when you need to make time to learn about productivity so you can actually, you know, be productive. But you can start your morning off right and be ready to get stuff done in just a few minutes with the Inc. Productivity Tip of the Day podcast. New episodes drop every weekday, so listen and subscribe to Inc. Productivity Tip of the Day wherever you get your podcasts. That's Inc. Productivity Tip of the Day wherever you get your podcasts. Tech moves fast. So keep pace with the Daily Crunch podcast from TechCrunch. With new episodes every day, this podcast will give you a quick overview on everything you need and should know about startups, new tech, regulations, and more. Listen to TechCrunch Daily Crunch now, wherever you get your podcasts. That's TechCrunch Daily Crunch, wherever you get your podcasts.